The Athletic. disappointed but uh, we are not angry not on our performance and not on our boys I think this performance and, and, and this game is enough to win it we've never hidden the fact that, that you need luck in, in this game looking to pull it back it's too easy it's too easy for Barcelona it looks all over for Chelsea Chelsea nil Barcelona 4 ouch today was difficult because the game was over before it began and I think that's what's so difficult to reflect on this is Straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, misery, abject misery. Specifically, Lucky Leicester lift FA Cup as Blues blow first trophy opportunity of the season. We look ahead to the crucial Premier League game against Leicester and formidable Barcelona dismantle Chelsea in the Women's Champions League final. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight out of Cobham. Hello listener, thanks for joining us again as we take a stroll down the always lively, if today somewhat downbeat, Chelsea Boulevard. I've got the Athletics Chelsea reporters with me, uh, sort of, you know, social distancing, etc. Uh, morning Liam Toomey, you met a famous CFC face over the weekend, but it was the modern day Chelsea who found the bunker. Yeah, good morning. I, I thought on Friday that I had been given a sign of Chelsea's impending FA Cup final success and it didn't come to me in the form of a premonition like you hear in you know the the myths and legends it came to me in the flesh and blood form of Gianfranco Zola who happened to be playing golf on the golf course near where mm. i live where i walk my dog and so he met, he met ruby who looked to me like she sensed she was in the presence of greatness <laughs> and i was convinced after that chance meeting that that it was a sign that you know meeting a, a hero of ninety seven meant that Chelsea were were destined for for more glory at Wembley. But now I'm forced to reevaluate the meaning of that encounter, and maybe the universe is just all chaos and and unfair. <laughs> um, and maybe maybe the football gods were simply punishing the arrogance of my assumption. I don't I don't know. Yeah, well done. Good morning, though. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here's Jaden tweeting the show to ask, are we actually going to have Simon on the pod? He was broken after that Arsenal loss and must be absolutely gutted after this. Simon, are you there? I'm here to bring joy <laughs> to the world and to Chelsea. Don't panic. I, I used the dad's... I'm not sure where they made the cut last week. I used the dad's <laughs> army reference last week. I'm going to do it again. Don't panic, Thomas Tuchel. Don't panic. Well, it's on that good. line... Yeah, well, here's Darren, who's tweeted us to say, it's not all doom and gloom. Win next two and qualify for Champions League, then move on to a final where we're underdogs and it might suit us better. Thanks, Darren. I needed that. Uh, right, later we'll hear from Katie Wyatt on what went wrong in the Women's Champions League final, but first, Wembley Woe. And Chelsea have it again at the back. Thomas Tuchel claps above his head. First German manager in an FA Cup final. Watching Kielemans come forward and strike a brilliant goal for Leicester! The Foxes are in front through an outstanding goal from that Belgian midfielder, Yuri Tielemans. 
Chelsea nil, Leicester City won. Then the Blues missing out on the chance to lift the FA Cup for the ninth time and in the process losing the final for the second season running. And, and what a difference a week makes. Seven days ago, there was a real buzz about the pod and not just from Simon's microphone. Liam, what's happened since then? Well, Dom's left, hasn't he? Uh, the, the optimistic presence has, even has Even gone. he's lost hope. He's given up. I mean, I, you know, this, this goes to the, the piece that I wrote on, on the game at Wembley. I think in the last two games, while it's not particularly satisfying for a lot of Chelsea fans to hear, when Tuchel says that, that Chelsea have suffered two unlucky defeats, he, by the numbers, he's not wrong. You know, Arsenal didn't have a chance to score beyond Jorginho's mad back pass and Leicester didn't have a chance to score beyond Yuri Tielemann's wonder strike from 30 yards. So if it sounds like Tuchel, you know, showing sour grapes, saying it was a it was a fantastic goal, but a lucky goal, I think it's just him saying the game as clearly and analytically as as he sees it. And Chelsea did win the XG at Wembley for what it's worth. Uh, you don't get a trophy for that. But they did win it 0.78 to 0.32. I think those numbers indicate that neither team really did enough, and that it was a moment of brilliance that that, that settled it. As you know, as can often happen in in finals. That was the one part of what Tuchel said that I disagreed with was that when he said Chelsea did enough to win the game. I don't think they did. I don't think either team did, and just someone had to win. Um, but when you know, you get these two defeats back to back in such significant circumstances, it does create a perception of the revival losing steam at the worst possible time. And it's up to Chelsea to change that. They can change it in an instant by producing a response on Tuesday against Leicester in what is an even more important game, thanks to the swish of Alisson's head. (laughs) Um, But it won't dull the pain of Wembley for a lot of fans because while Tuesday might be more important from a club perspective in terms of Champions League qualification, the game is is about, you know, winning trophies and um and that's been Chelsea's recent history under Abramovich. And they now lost two FA Cup finals in a row to teams that have maybe less resources and arguably less talent than them. What did you make of the starting eleven that that uh, Thomas Tuchel picked? Simon Ziyech, a little bit ineffective. The other big call, I guess, was was Reece James and, and Cesar Azpilicueta swapping roles, and it worked in one sense in that in that Reece managed to keep Jamie Vardy very quiet. But Chelsea really lost that ability to cross, which you know he's one of the best at in the league, and and lost something going forward because of that. I just wonder whether Tuchel was guilty of. What he was guilty of on Wednesday, of looking a game ahead, of being exactly the same on Saturday as well. Because for me, there were some decisions, well, that I I certainly didn't agree with. One of them sounds like Captain Hindsight. And I couldn't really argue, I couldn't really argue last week on the pod because he'd already made it and announced it. But Kepper and Goal, I didn't agree with. I know he's played in every single round I know he played against Man City. I just don't think you mess around with your number one goalkeeper when the big prize is at stake. Now, it's it's an awkward one because am I blaming Kepa for failing to stop a 25-30 yarder in the top corner? It sounds really harsh to sort of say, yes, he cost Chelsea the cup final. What I would say is that 
Kepa has shown a tendency to be beaten from long range consistently since he arrived. And if many had been in goal, we don't know whether he would have stopped it. But what we do know is he'd have got a lot closer to it. And I just think that Kepa's presence doesn't instil confidence in the players around him, whereas Mendy does. And I do think Tielemans admitted he got a message beforehand saying, have a shot, aim for the top corner. Who now, sent maybe... that message? We, we need to know who sent that message. <laughs> I think I think it's been covered in, in an athletic piece today. I think it's someone in his agency, or maybe I saw something on Twitter actually this morning saying it was someone from his agency. But you almost feel like, you know, well, they, they, they knew that Kepa was starting. It's so like, oh, you know, sort of <laughs> aim for top bins. You've got a great chance of scoring. But it wasn't just about Kepa. And I, I, and I certainly don't want to sort of, as I said, make out that it was his fault. I just wasn't happy with it. I, I, I just think, you know, you don't mess with your number one goalkeeper at this stage of the season. Um, but I wasn't happy with seeing Marcus Alonso at left wing back either. Um, yes, he played well against Man City, but... I just thought Ben Chilwell, as he showed off the bench, gives gives Chelsea that sort of energy on that side that was lacking from Alonso's performance. Um, and then especially when you've already made the decision to play another slow wing-back on the other flank um, in Aspilicueta. So it, it just felt like Tuchel was more worried about what Leicester could do than what Chelsea could do. Um, in saying that, you know, Chelsea had more of the chance, you know, less so one shot, let's be honest, one shot on target. Uh, Reese James, I suppose, blocked one from Jamie Vardy, but it's not like Leicester produced this masterclass that's almost being referred to. They, they just, as Liam inferred in his piece and what he just said just now, it was a game of fine margins and, and they edged it. But I thought there was a big difference between the way Tielemann struck a ball from 25, 30 yards out in space and the way that Timo Werner did. Um, one memorable shot, more worthy of Twickenham than, than Wembley. <laughs> uh, lots of people tweeting us to blame the defeat on the new kit, which is fair. Vaxed von Seidel simply says, burn the kit, delete all copies of the ad. Chelsea Youth adds, is the new kit terrible or just rubbish? To which the London is Blue Pod replied, follow-up question, if we convert all the 2021-22 kits into an NFT, destroy the physical kits and then upload the NFT onto a rocket that we'd shoot into the sun, did it ever really exist? Um, it's a good shout. Back to the game. Here's a, a tweet from Chelsea Youth Picks asking, how do you legitimately discuss the obvious issues with VAR without sounding like a bad loser? It's a, it's a good point, Liam, because... The Tielemans goal, as lovely as it was, shouldn't have stood because there was a handball in the build-up. And then you had the, the millimetre offside disallowing the uh, the Wes Morgan own goal because Chilwell was ruled to have had a, a toenail just slightly ahead of the last defender. Well, look, I always defer to uh, Dale Johnson of ESPN on these things because he, the, he is the VAR and coefficients correspondent um, for the mm -hmm. entire industry, or the ombudsman, um, shall we say. And he actually said, he, he said, apparently, according to the rules, the uh, Ayosi Perez handball was not uh, grounds to disallow the goal um, because it didn't directly lead to Leicester scoring. There was, I think the ball went to Luke Thomas, who then passed it inside to Tielemans. But that, that, that to me shows where we are with the handball rule. <laughs> as much as anything, it's so convoluted that I don't think anyone understands what what is a handball that should rule out a goal and what isn't for an attacking team or a defending team. The issues with VAR, I mean, 
I'm not compromised on this. I've hated VAR since the start. Uh, I, I was convinced it would be bad for football. Um, I was willing to be. I was willing to be persuaded otherwise, but nothing that's happened since it's come in um, has changed my mind. And VAR offside is the worst part of VAR because I, I, no one can tell me that the technology we have um, is fit for purpose. Perhaps Chilwell was offside. To be honest, I've given up looking at these stills with lines um, frozen on a certain frame where you can't tell whether it's actually the frame where the ball's left the player's feet or not. Whether that's just, you know, you get people saying, oh, this is just the image they send out to the world. They've actually got this incredible technology that tells them exactly what's going on at any given point. There's Whether it's an issue with the communication or the actual technology, the image that is created is of a system that is not fit for purpose and certainly not fit to decide finals. You know, that, that, that goal, if, if that is actually allowed, and I'm not saying it was onside, I don't know. Um, but if that goal is allowed, Chelsea probably go on to win that final. And we're having a totally different conversation about, about Tuchel and where the season stands and probably a whole different conversation about Leicester as well. So I, I I don't like VAR. I really don't like VAR offside. I think it's made football worse. Um, but I'm not just saying that because Chelsea lost. I've been saying that from the moment VAR came in. Before we move on from the cup final, we've had lots of people getting in touch, bemoaning the lack of leaders in this Chelsea side. Finbar amongst them says, can't help but feel the current leaders Tuchel refers to frequently are nowhere near the standards of decades past. Time to move the captaincy and responsibility onto Mason and or Reese from next season. Simon, you're never going to get people like John Terry and Petr Cech and Frank Lampard all in, all in the same team again, or at least it's very unlikely. But also, there aren't many of those kind of figures about in football these days, aren't there? Is, is this not just a, a symptom of modern football that you don't get that tub-thumping, screaming, shouting, ranting, raving captain? Yeah, look, look around the, the the teams at the top of the table in, in terms of that, that you know, the, the cliche of the, of the leader. I mean, Chelsea was spoiled. I mean, let's be honest. It was it was a ridiculous dressing room uh, for years, blessed with not just one or two, but you're talking half a dozen that could have all all sort of worn the armband, really. But Chelsea had the best captain in their history, uh, front and centre. And you know, in terms of leaders, we can't sort of just delete the last few months. And and I do sort of feel like there's an element of of this going on in light of the disappointment of the last couple of games. It's like, whilst it's understandable because of the level of emotion involved, you don't perform the way Chelsea performed the last few months without having leaders. Are they as good as what went on before? Of course not. But I still think Chelsea's shown an awful lot of character to bounce back from what was a, what was a season imploding back in January. And their performances against Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Man City, Liverpool, they've beaten some really big teams. So I, I just think there's an element of panic and, and sort of crisis mode. Here's me. Look, this is me. Last week I was <laughs> I was the doom merchant. But this week I'm just sort of like, okay, been here before Chelsea. It's never a smooth ride. I've covered them for, for two decades. They never do things the easy way. Is Cesar Azpilicueta the most vocal captain in the world? No, he's not. But he has been a steady Eddie 
in a, in a very difficult time. And I think you look in that team, I think Rudiger has really sort of come on as a leader. Mason Mount is already a leader as far as I'm concerned. I don't think he needs the armband for that. I just think there, there are characters in that. Thiago Silva, he, he leads by example. I, I don't think Saturday was about leadership. I, I just think there was certain things that went against them. They weren't at their best. And Tuchel got some of his selections wrong. What we will see in terms of leadership is is Tuesday night, which I'm sure we're about to get onto. That that's where we'll sort of the leaders really have to step up in that dressing room because this is two defeats is is bad, three defeats is a crisis. Well, as Simon says, Chelsea don't have long to wait to try and exact revenge on the Foxes. We'll look ahead to their visit to the Bridge next. So Tuesday night sees Leicester City visit Stamford Bridge then. If Chelsea win, they just have to match whatever Leicester do on the final day to finish above them. Uh, Liam, team news-wise, Josh asks if Kovacic will get a start here. He says we've missed his drive. Uh, the fact that he was declared fit and then didn't feature on Saturday would, would probably indicate that he'll he'll get some minutes on Tuesday. And, and I guess the other thing in that is that Jorginho's not exactly been pulling up trees in the last week or so. Well, Simon and I have just had a lengthy conversation about this for a piece that's going up on The Athletic where we have another organised uh, argument for for our editor's amusement. Although it wasn't really much of an argument this time, to be honest. No argument to that today, was no. there? It was, we, we were actually uh, propping each other up, if anything. <laughs> yeah, and, and going through different areas of the team and what Tuchel could do. Kovacic is certainly part of that. The one issue that I think you have with maybe bringing Kovacic straight back into the starting eleven is that he has missed such a long time. He hasn't played um, for Chelsea since April 10th, that win away at Crystal Palace. And it's a big ask for for someone to, to miss more than a month and come back into such a crucial game and be at their very best level. So I think Kovacic... I'd be very surprised if he wasn't in the squad. I'm sure Tuchel probably left him out of the FA Cup final squad to give him every possible chance of being available for this game. Um, and Chelsea also want to get some minutes into his legs ahead of the Champions League final. So it'd be a good opportunity to bring him back in. I'm just not sure if you start him yet. What about elsewhere, Simon? Feels like the, the front three will get a refresh from, from Saturday, maybe put Havertz back in as the as the nine and, and maybe even get Christian Pulisic in from the start. You, you read our minds, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, you know, again, referring to the chat that, that me and Liam had, we, we both agreed on that. I mean, there's a shout out for, you know, or potential contender, maybe given that I thought he did quite well off the bench in Hudson-Odoi. But again, his lack of starts, his lack of game time in the last few months makes that unlikely, let's be honest. Um, you get the impression Tuchel doesn't fully trust him. But Pulisic, with Werner playing the way he has the last, you know, that, that cut final performance was, was was almost going two steps backwards. I, I just think, yeah, get Pulisic running at, at, at perhaps tired Leicester defenders from, from Saturday. They, they've had quite an emotional few days, understandably. Yeah, get him flying at them from the start. Uh, Mason Mount keeps his place for sure. And then Havertz, we want to see the best of Havertz, don't we? Um, not the Havertz that didn't really turn up against Arsenal. We want to see the Havertz that, that did so well against Real Madrid and, and a few others 
in games recently. But yeah, I, I just think it's I just think it's all it's so much about mentality. One thing I didn't mention about the cup final actually is Tuchel's subs and how long they took. Same as against Arsenal. Hmm. Um, that was a disappointment because you you were going. I mean, I think I I tweeted about eight minutes into the second half, going time for Pulisic. Methinks, as in you could see that if anything, Chelsea were even flatter than they were in the first half. It's like something needed to be injected into that side. So, so Tico also needs to stop his game. I think he's done a brilliant job. And 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 again, hasten to add, there's a caveat here. It's like yes, criticise Tuchel, but within reason. Um, without Tuchel, Chelsea wouldn't be here. And and then I think another key part of the game is going to be the eight thousand fans that are going to be there. I, th- I think this is can they have as galvanising effect as they did in the Leeds game in December? I I just think that this is a big advantage for Chelsea. Um, and the fans that are there have to make sure that you know the players know that they're there, and and Chelsea respond to them and make the most of it. Yeah, Liam, I make Chelsea big favourites for this game because of that, and also because of what Simon mentioned with how draining it, it will have been for Leicester. But but what did Chelsea need to do differently to what they did on on Saturday to get a better result? Honestly, I don't think they need to, you know, rip up anything tactically. Or you know, try and try and spring some massive surprise against Leicester. Just think they need to execute better, particularly w- when they have the ball. They they offered very very little. As you know, I looked at it afterwards, and it, to come back to xG, um, they've only had three games where their xG has been lower under Tuchel than the cup final. One was Wolves, where they had one hour's prep with him. One was Brighton when all the European Super League stuff was happening and their heads were elsewhere. And one was Manchester City away where they somehow still managed to win 2-1. So they they need to do more in the final third. Um, This team has been woefully inefficient at making the most of the situations they create with like, you know, three on threes, four on fours, all season under Lampard, under Tuchel. Um, They need to find a way to be just a little bit more composed and ruthless in those situations. But I think as long as they do, as long as they really bring their best intensity, I do think they've got a really good chance of beating Leicester because I just think Saturday was so huge for them as a club, for for their history, for that for that group of players, that they wouldn't be human if there wasn't some sort of drop off, uh, even if it was only subconscious for that game with such a short turnaround. So I think Chelsea got a big chance here to actually win a game that that makes a huge impact on their on their top four challenge that match kicks off at 8 15 uk time next today more cup final misery chelsea nil barcelona four in the women's champions league final a calamitous first 20 minutes saw brilliant barca take the game away from the blues and from then on it was all about damage limitation for emma hayes side roman abramovich was in attendance in gothenburg and went into the dressing room afterwards to console the players. Her owner came in to see us and all the girls were very quick to tell him that we'll be back here and we'll work hard on the training pitch to make sure we'll do that. And um, if I know this group well enough, I know that they mean those words and this is just another step in our journey. Friend of the show and the Athletics women's football correspondent Katie Wyatt joins us now to dissect the game. Um, Katie, my dissection is that that was pretty grim, uh, but also shocking too. I mean, we were aware of how good Barcelona were, but I don't think anybody was expecting that start. 
Yeah, it was a really, really strange one. And I think after the game, it was very clear where Chelsea had lost the game and we were all very much thinking, OK, um, Chelsea's choice of fullbacks was very, very risky. Barcelona had the best wingers in the world. Chelsea just couldn't get on the ball. It was very obvious where it had all fallen apart for them. But still, I woke up this morning and I was thinking, wow, they actually did lose that final 4-0. And this is a team that lest we forget, have dominated the WSL and torn apart every English team that they'd faced. So to see that handed to them for a change on the grandest of stages after all of the work that we know that they've put in to get to that point was just really, really humbling and really, really striking to see. Emma Hayes has had loads of praise in the last week and quite rightly so. You know, we, We've lauded her as a genius. You've done some brilliant writing on, on what makes her tick and, and her background. But you mentioned the fullback thing. What did she give any justification as to why she didn't start Jonna Anderson? Because because as you say, you're coming up against arguably the best front three in, in the world and, and those wingers just, just made life so difficult for, for Jess Carter and, and Neve Charles, neither of whom were playing in their natural position. Yeah, well, it was um, Charlotte who was at the game for us out in Sweden who went to the post-match press conference so will be able to give better insight to that than I can. But I think from my personal point of view... It was very easy to predict that that's what she was going to do because she's without Mara Mielda, so who was her option in that case? It's Jess Carter, who is a left footer, um, sorry, a right footer playing at left back. And then who is her natural, as you were saying, replacement for Jonna Anderson, who I thought was one of Chelsea's more potent attacking players in that first leg against Bayern Munich, but as you said, maybe a little bit prone defensively and was no match for Hannah Glass, um, who was causing a lot of problems for Chelsea in that first leg against Bayern Munich so I could understand why she plumped for Neve Charles but I think that that is the one area in particular you know we've joked all season about how much offensive depth Chelsea have got that they take off Sam Kerr and they can bring on Bethany England and Erin Cuthbert but for them to just be decimated without Magdalena Eriksson which is something that we've seen in recent weeks for them to be struggling without Marami Elder for them to not have bona fide replacements in these positions is really, really concerning. And I think that it was always going to be a massive ask for those two makeshift fullbacks to go against the best wingers in the world and Lika Mines and Caroline Graham Hansen. But even then, I don't think that we expected them to fall apart in the way that they did. So I think that that is probably the biggest um, maybe error on Emma Hayes' part, although looking at the personnel and the depth in that squad, I'm not sure how much she... Um, she could have done differently but I do think it's a big wake-up call in that sense of maybe I know that people are saying that Chelsea are not miles away and they're not but the fact that some of those big names froze on that stage is very alarming and I think that throughout the competition maybe we've seen Emma Hayes make mistakes and then rectify it in the second half or in the second leg and there just wasn't time to do that today I think the one silver lining from a Chelsea perspective is that there is no um, last minute own goal to Rue. There is no dubious penalty shout to Rue in the last minute. It's all those things happened, but there was very much a helplessness about them from minute one. And you did feel very, very early on that Emma Hayes was just kind of rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic with how far ahead Barcelona were. And actually, I, I felt a bit of that helplessness even before the game kicked off. That the players looked pretty nervous in the tunnel, even. Even Magda, when she was swapping the pennants, looked as though she was had the butterflies going in her stomach, which obviously you, you would expect. Is that too simplistic an explanation or is it just that Barcelona were better than them? Um, a bit from column A and a bit from column B, I think 
I very much agree with your assessment that watching them come out of the tunnel, I did notice the body language and think that they did look a lot more nervous than perhaps Emma Hayes has alluded to. She obviously gave a very confident post-match interview and talked about how excited she was and she's not nervous and she's going to embrace the occasion. And I didn't know if maybe that message had been transferred to her players as effectively having seen how nervous they looked when they were coming out the tunnel. But um, I do think that Barcelona were just pressing so effectively and seemed to know what this Chelsea side were going to do even before Emma Hayes did. And there was just no space for G or Sophie Ingle to get on the ball and no space for Frank Kirby and Sam Kerr to get in behind and cause the havoc and the mayhem that they usually do. And I think that this Barcelona team just read the game so well and pressed so effectively that all of those avenues were swallowed up and there were no obvious routes through for Chelsea. But at the same time, I think that Chelsea massively, massively underperformed formed and Peniel Harder who is the world record transfer fee in women's football realistically should have finished a lot of the chances that were put in front of her and likewise for Fran um, Kirby and Sam Kerr on those rare occasions that did get in front of goal probably should have done better and so I do think that they were paralysed across the pitch I think that they're build-up wasn't the usual Chelsea build-up that we see but also in those key moments when they did fashion a breakthrough they weren't anywhere near as clinical as they have been domestically. If we're looking for a positive does it mean that Emma Hayes is is more likely to to stay now that she hasn't sort of completed her job if you if you see what I mean we know this is the one that she really wants. Um, I don't know I mean you'd have to speak to her I think it's very interesting with Emma Hayes because she was always linked to the men's game um, and is always very touted as the first manager that will make that leap across and be the first women's manager in, in the men's game or at least the elite level of the men's game. Um, and she sort of said very openly that she's not necessarily interested in that, at least at the moment, because she's working with Ballon d'Or winners and World Cup winners and Champions League finalists now as they are. And to portray that as just a stepping stone or as a step down just by virtue of the fact that the men's game is the men's game is very insulting and something that she's against. But I think that the way that she talks about Chelsea and, and the respect that she has and how much she loves it, it is very difficult to maybe envisage her going for the an England job any time soon. I think that that would be something if it is happen if it does happen that's a number of years down the line. But yeah, it's a fair point that I don't know if she will leave this club until she has won that because that is the last thing that she's got to do and they came so close but at the same time we're just so far. Um so there is quite a little bit of tweaking to do and it's even getting more difficult to win now in Europe because of Leon still being a very strong side, the rise of Bayern Munich, Wolfsburg being um, maybe weaker than they were, but still a very formidable opponent. PSG on the rise, Barcelona very clearly on the rise. So it's just going to be so tough for teams to get into that latter stages. And for any English team to win that now would be their finest achievement, Barnon, I think. Finally, Katie, Chelsea playing the FA Cup fifth round on, on Thursday night against Everton. Going to be fascinating, isn't it, to see how the team responds in that game to what happened on Sunday. Yeah, I think that's going to be the key talking point from that game. And to digress slightly, I support Bradford City. And I remember when they got to the League Cup final in 2013 and then they had to play uh, Swansea at Wembley and they lost 5-0 and they had all the fanfare and all the media coverage, but also the humiliation on the international stage to lose in the way that they did. 
Um, and then they, on the Wednesday, had to play Dagenham and Redbridge, which was a massive come down. And for weeks we could sort of see a hangover in them. Um, and they ended up having a big meeting um, after a quite heavy defeat and pinpointing what they needed to do and where it went wrong. And that hangover kind of persisted for a few weeks. And it's very odd with this Chelsea side because they are such a professional side very clearly in their mindset and their mentality. And we um, have seen them throughout the season, no matter what, questions have been asked or what adversity they faced if it's losing players or um, going down very early on they've always seemed to find a solution but now I think that this is the biggest test to have been disappointed in this manner on the national stage and I don't want to use the word humiliated but it was just so one-sided and they were never ever in the game and they talked up and had ambitions of the quadruple all year and to lose in that fashion, to lose so early on, to not even make it a contest, to have something that they've been aiming for all season snatched away is that a real different psychological test for them because in the past it's always been how can they focus on these forefronts and how can they just take it one game at a time to, okay, put that win, that competition, that trophy behind us and that positive, we've got to park that and move on to the next challenge. But now it's a very different challenge. It's the the huge, big disappointment, the biggest disappointment of some of these players' careers that they've got to park now to go on in the FA Cup to um, to you know at least get a, a domestic treble. So that is a very, very different brief to what they faced all season. Yeah, going to be fascinating to see how they respond. Uh, Katie, thanks so much for, for joining us today and throughout the season. Great, thank you. Bye. That'll just about do it for this episode. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Simon, you, you've teased the piece where, where you debate uh, what what Thomas Tuchel could do to, to change this Chelsea team around a bit. What else have you got lined up? Yeah, so obviously I, I'm lucky enough to to be going to the Chelsea-Leicester game. Hopefully I'll, I'll bring some fortune um, <laughs> to proceedings and, and we'll be doing the piece inevitably about that. It's difficult to say what it's going to be on. I've got an idea in my mind, but you know that will go out the window if, um, if, of course, events take over. Um, there are other things I'm working on, but yeah, they're rather time sensitive, so I can't really go into too much detail. But yeah, lot, lots lots to write about with Chelsea over the next few weeks. So don't worry, there'll be plenty of articles for, for readers to, to check out. Thanks for using articles. I do find it a bit pretentious when everybody calls them pieces all the time. That's, uh, I prefer the old school articles. That's just a personal preference. Liam, what, what's your latest piece? <laughs> My, my my latest piece of art. Um, well, yeah, I mean, might might well be up on site by the time this podcast is live. If not, you won't have to wait too long for conversation between Simon and I about how Tuchel might might approach this this all important Leicester game. Like Simon, I'm working on a number of pieces. Really, we're we're all gearing up towards the Champions League final in terms of our editorial plans. Um, so we can't really say too much at this point. We'll be able to tell you a bit more next week. Um, but there, there's a lot of big things going on. And as for later this week, there's an element of waiting to see what happens on Tuesday because that will condition how everything looks. But one of the things I think I might be might be doing is a, it's a kind of more financially minded piece of just what the what qualifying for the Champions League and what getting top four means in this of all seasons. 
Excellent. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't yet a subscriber. If you want to give us a nice review on your podcast platform of choice, that would be lovely too. Many thanks to Simon, Liam and producer Lucy and to you, listener. We'll catch up with you again soon. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic. <laughs>